0: The FDF podcast is sponsored by Clark Energy, sustainably powering the food and drink sectors. FDF podcast, passionate about food and drink.
1: Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the latest FDF Issues Update monthly webinar. Uh, My name is Dominic Goody. I'm Head of International Trade at the Food and Drink Federation, and I'll be hosting uh, this month's instalment. Uh, We have a feature-packed webinar, as always, with a a huge array of different uh, policy experts from across the FDF joining us to talk about latest developments in UK food and drink. We won't be joined this month by Ian Wright, who is at this minute uh, giving evidence to the Bay Select Committee on the impacts of supply chain disruption that the industry is currently facing. So instead, we've got extra updates from uh, policy colleagues, uh, and we've got focus uh, this month on labour shortages and the FDF's inclusion and diversity network from Mark Corbett. And Luke Hindlaw will be talking about the latest developments in GB Northern Ireland trade and the announcement that we saw in the last week or so from the European Commission. To kick things off though, I'll pass over to James Hawkins who will be talking about political developments.
2: So I think one of the big uh, things you'll notice on from my slides this, uh, this month is that actually there's not a, a slide solely dedicated to COVID. Uh, there's a few points but um, I, that is a probably a happy development for all of us. So to start with the update, like trade EU and northern Ireland um, at the top of the month 1st of October, the government launched its new export support for business trade for businesses trading within the EU. Uh, a bit of an FDF win uh, this one because it' was something that we were calling for. Uh, there were a few bits of commentary kind of like it's based in India and it's of course but but that is a, but it's, a, it's a good thing nonetheless that this has been set up. Um, during the month, and it's kind of still going on at the moment, uh, it's a bit of a kind of um, media comment, as much as anything. How the French were very much uh, trying to increase pressure on the UK regarding post-Brexit business. Uh, I mean, without doubt, this is um, uh, the French looking towards doing a bit of a helpful uh, Brit bashing just ahead of Macron's election next year. Uh, it's coming down to issues like uh, fishing uh, licenses, where. Uh, UK has not uh, been as generous as the French would have wanted um, and French uh, threats to cut their energy supplies to the Channel Islands. Uh, it's also kind of seems to be coming out that there's not total kind of uh, EU support uh, for some of these more hardline French approaches but it colours some of the uh, negotiations which have been happening around Northern Ireland Protocol which uh, we will be covering later. But it's just one of those things just to be aware of which is bubbling on in the background um, and causing a little bit of a consternation to all sides. Um, but uh, on 8th of October, the DTI launched um, its latest uh, kind of global Britain initiative with uh, uh, the beginning of trade talks with the Gulf Cooperation Council, uh, which will start next year. Uh, the countries which are in that are Bahrain, Kuwait, Oman, Qatar, Saudi Arabia, and UAE. And it is uh, for food and drink manufacturers seen as one of the kind of top three uh, targets for future uh, future trade potential. Uh, so that would be a good thing. The um, DTI is uh, continuing to survey um, how um, companies are feeling the con- continuation agreements are working out with Vietnam and Korea, um, the FDF is um, in, is continuing to provide further details post submission with regard to the Mexico and Canada agreements, and the and DEFRA has been in contact with regard to the submission that we uh, sent in uh, around um uh, talks with India uh, just to kind of add, uh, just so they can input into DIT, DIT thinking. So, so so, there's no major announcements around trade uh, liberalisation uh, talks uh, to the UK and other countries, but you can see that the work is continuing apace. On the 12th of uh, October, so last week, Lord Frost delivered in Portugal uh, a speech outlining what the UK uh, government's proposals were to reform the Northern Ireland Protocol. This was uh, followed up the next day not by means of an answer or something that was already scheduled, uh, but the EU, uh, Mara Shef- uh the EU Vice President, set out uh, the EU's proposals uh, that they would like to take forward to reform the, the Northern Ireland Protocol. The position of the European Court of Justice is going to be one of the major sticking points, and as uh, people are unpicking as some of the proposals, uh, there's, there's, some, there's some commentary around that, uh, but I will let Luke go into greater detail. Look in the general politics and economics of this. Is quite a busy period in the last month. Uh, so back in September, the, on the 24th, it was the start of the fuel crisis that hit many petrol stations across the UK. And this uh, was one of the precursors for uh, some of the various kind of food shortages or, or lack of food on, on, on shelves, rather, uh, which uh, we witnessed in, uh, across some shops. Uh, the next day was uh, when the government announced a policy to add 5,000 um, drivers. And five and a half thousand poultry workers to, to the existing visa scheme that will take uh, to allow those to run to the end of the year. Uh, unfortunately, only about twenty seven people have um, so far successfully passed the requirements. I think for the uh, the uh drivers, and given that there's apparently five hundred thousand shortages uh, across Europe, it's probably uh, not that uh, surprising. Uh, but you can see that this is going to be an issue, labour shortages, which Mark is going to cover after this, which is um, going to run uh, throughout the winter. Um, at the last the month of September, um, <laughs> this is one of our COVID announcements, uh, the furlough scheme came to an end. Uh, so that will hopefully uh, perhaps um, provide some um, some help for uh, some of those labour shortages. Um, but, as, um, but you can see kind of the fact that we aren't concentrating too much on COVID. While it hasn't gone away by no means, the government is very much now thinking that with so many people double vaccinated, with that now expanded to uh children over the age of twelve, I think it is, um, that it is something that will now become manageable. Um, but if you look at opinion polls today, half the population still think that there's a possibility of a lockdown as we go into winter. So something that is still front of mind, uh, but not the um not the urgent, urgent uh, situation that it was before. I think that's fair to say. Um, on the 8th of, of the month, uh, the Irish Taoiseach uh, was in Belfast to talk uh, in a series of meetings with five main party leaders, and this was ahead of those Northern Ireland announcements, which I referred to in the, uh, on the last slide. Um, so the politics is very much um, in play with regard to um, what the final positions the EU took and the UK government. Um, uh, Um, took with regard to the protocol, and it was something that you can see that the politics will govern this as much as the kind of business pragmatism. pragmatism. Uh, A few days later on the 11th, uh, the government announced it had broken a new deal with uh, with regards to uh, carbon dioxide producers. It's something that will run to the end of the year, um, and obviously had been something that was a pretty urgent situation for many of our members with regards to CO2 shortages. Uh, the government thinks that this uh, will help um, set uh, up a new market mechanism, albeit at a very much higher price uh, with regard to CO two. Uh, whether that can sustain any other uh, pressure on gas prices um, after the Christmas period, uh, we will see. But hopefully, um, this will be this will last. And then, lastly, just on this slide, uh, the latest GDP figures came in 04 percent growth, which is just uh, um, just not one percent below market expectations. But it is worth noting that while um, our representatives, uh, in the economy, 1.2 million people, the previous uh, July figures were downgraded. They were plus 1%. They've been downgraded all the way to minus 1% in July. Uh, and that was put down to the pandemic. So the government can see that the government is the very much hoping and putting a lot of stock on the economy, uh, rebounding back. It's still not 0.8% below its pre-pandemic uh, level. Uh, But there are increasingly pressures coming onto those growth figures uh, and increasingly inflationary pressures too. So we go to the last slide, just looking at the general kind of state of play. Uh, Both parties um, had what, in their own terms, a pretty successful party conference. So Keir Starmer was able to um, make his leadership slightly stronger. He was able to get through various um, internal uh, leadership and voting uh, uh, reforms. Boris Johnson, very much the in the dominant position over his party there wasn't particularly many uh, uh policy announcements from the uh from the Tories to say the least uh I think uh, the Chancellor's speech was almost devoid of any of them apart from uh 500 million extra for a plan for jobs um I think a lot of it's being kept back for the budget uh later on in this month of which the party kind of uh really the government really wants to kind of uh kind of Provide not a reset as such, but kind of get itself back on the front foot. The increasing narrative, though, I think going through into the winter, you can hear it coming from uh, various conservative backbenches and the Labour front benches beginning to adopt it too, is around that cost of living crisis. So that's all those inflationary figures, inflationary uh, pressures, which are coming down the track, and it's very much going uh, from. You can hear it from the Bank of England. Something that could be something that could be contained across a few months is now becoming seen as a problem which. Um, which is needs to be dealt with seriously, and it's not just something that's just a short-term blip. And the money markets, if you read some of the media reports, are already pricing in uh, possible three um, interest rate rises over the next year. There was a curious kind of spat between uh, Rishi Sunak and the Business Secretary, uh, with the Treasury apparently kind of saying that what uh, was was kind of freelancing slightly with regards to. Uh, government help they would give to um, industry, but then the the number 10 actually backed the uh, business secretary. So kind of a little bit of, uh, kind of tensions within the ranks, um, but it's still now reported that Sinek has changed uh, tax slightly and is considering a rescue plan that was uh, for energy intensive industries to help them survive the, vin- uh, the winter. Um, and lastly, it's worth reporting that while COVID uh, is no longer completely central stage with regard to politics, uh, there was a group, there was a, um, a combination of the Science and Technology Select Committee and the Health Select Committee that joined up to do an early report on government handling around COVID and reported that the government had made major mistakes, uh, had taken quite a fatalistic approach, and was suffering from groupthink. Suffering from so again, while COVID may be not completely central stage anymore it is something that along with things like the cost of living crisis is going to be coming up and exerting pressure on the government um, in the months ahead anyway if anyone has any questions please contact me on james.hawkins.fdf.org.uk and I'll hand over to Mark Corbett, who's going to be
3: talking in more depth about those labor shortages. And so probably fair to say that labor shortages are one of the biggest things impacting the sector at the moment. It's getting a lot of attention. We had um, big, big businesses like Nestle going public about this. We uh, we found the, the prices report very useful. So in terms of the, the bigger context about um, how the labor shortages is impacting on wage inflation, you know, this is all um, upward pressure on the, on the cost of living as well. So that's a piece of work we did a few months ago. It's been really, really useful. Um, so back in the in the summer, we saw this coming. Um, we did a survey on the HGV driver crisis in particular, but we also covered um, further sort of um, roles as well in that survey. of businesses are saying that the logistical issues at the moment are more severe than they were during COVID in 2020. Um, We asked around the the most popular solutions and um, businesses came back and said they should look at funding driver testing, getting that backlog. Looking at this temporary visa scheme, which is probably one of the only solutions that really does that fit that sort of short-term fix, um, increasing driver testing capacity and increasing increasing the speed of driver testing as well. Some of the other roles which came out of this survey are um, process operatives, packaging operatives, and engineers, and which all came out as areas where we're suffering shortages across food and drink manufacturing. Um so in August, we published a report along with the NFU, UK Hospitality, and the Road Haulage Association. And um, this covered the, the major issues that, have impacted, that are causing the um, labour shortages. So it's things like the ageing workforce, the reliance on migrant labour and um, the attractiveness of the sector, mis- misperceptions around the tra- sector being low paid and low skilled, ongoing skill shortages, um, the challenge of geography about places, about trapping to get to work there, and also the more immediate impacts um, like IR35. So this report, we asked for this 12-month short-term um, recovery visa, a COVID recovery visa, We haven't got that, but we have got these five and a half thousand poultry sector visas. We've got 4,700 HGV drivers for food and drink. And we are looking at implementing some pig butcher visas as well. Um, All short term or probably not enough as well. The FDF is working on medium term solutions as well. Um, so looking at how we can look, build on Kickstart and the lifetime skills guarantee and another scheme called Restart. Um, we want to call for more um, flexibility in the apprenticeship levy so we can upskill our existing workforce, make them um, more productive, maybe increase apprenticeship numbers as well. Looking at promoting the sector as a career of choice, busting those myths about the sector. Um, looking at a more coordinated approach to training, matching supply and demand. I've also called on the government to commission the Migra- Migration Advisory Committee to undertake a review of the sector similar to what was done in the care sector. Um, So we've got two um, committees that are calling for evidence at the moment. We've got a more formal one for EFRA. Um, We submitted the evidence of that on Friday. Um, And Bays also have a hearing as well where Ian will be attending in person. Um, We're having meetings with Department of Education. Um, So we've already spoken to Department of Education about boot camps. We've spoken to some of the providers there for restart as well to make sure that these schemes that are in place um, can deliver um, skills reasonably quickly, as quick as they can. So we had a meeting with Reid um, and they've already, already developed an HGV bespoke restart programme. And we're looking at other roles, things like packaging and process operatives as well, where we can develop a programme there. They yeah. had a letter in the Times um, putting out our position as well. Me and Wright, which got a lot of coverage. So the for a committee consultation... Um, this was replied to on Friday, and um, the questions it covered were, um, what is the extent and nature of labour shortages currently being experienced by the food supply chain? What are the factors driving labour food shortages in the food supply chain? Um, what is the outlook for labour shortage situation in the coming months and years? What other issues are affecting the food supply chain? What impact will the timetable for introducing physical checks on the border of food and live animals from the EU have on current issues being experienced by the food supply chain? And what measures has the government taken to alleviate the problems being faced by the food supply chain this year? And does the government need to take further steps to support the food supply chain? I just want to tell you about our um, new Diversity and Inclusion Network, which is going to be held on Tuesday the 25th. Um, It's a new informal network for members to share experiences and best practice. Um, We launched launched this through an IND Roundtable event in July. And to do this online, we had um, Jill Coyle, who's the chair of our Employment and Skills Forum, Sharing that meeting um, with a panelist and three other panelists. Um, so we're holding a breakfast meeting on Tuesday morning. Um, if you want to register, please go to the um, go to the FDF website. It's free to all FDF members, and it's being led by Griffin Scheel. Um, so his details are there. If you want to attend, um, very welcome to attend. And um, please contact Griffin. Hello, yes, yeah. it's Luke lawyer I'm going to cover the
4: latest on the Northern Ireland Protocol. So to kick things off, we'll just quickly touch on the uh, speech given by Lord Frost last Tuesday. Um, so what Lord Frost did is in this speech was use this speech to kind of cover the EU relationship and how he sees it going forward. Amongst many key points, I think, was to reiterate that the UK and the EU are now a competitors. Um, and that they were, you know, the point of Brexit was about doing things differently and he cited things such as, you know, a change in the approach to import checks the UK is going to do, which is essentially to remove the ID part of the import checks, you've got documentary ID and physical checks, the UK is going to essentially remove that and that's what he meant by that. Amongst other things, he mentioned that the UK is also going to use uh, a provision in the Northern Ireland Protocol, uh, 13.8, to propose a new uh, treaty to replace or supersede the protocol, and that they have presented this to the EU government, uh, EU Commission, sorry. Um, And amongst things, this uh, looks to remove the sole right of the ECJ and do some amendments to the state aid provisions in. The uh, protocol, as the UK government is quite worried about um, decisions it makes in GB, having a potential reach back via the protocol and the impact they can do that. Um, so those are some of the main things that Frost touched on. Now I just thought it was useful just to touch on before we go to the EU's proposals around what the actual UK's uh, intentions are for trading goods between GB to NI. So the approach to the UK is looking to put on the table in negotiations is based on a. Trusted trade scheme. Now, the uh, criteria will be uh, done or reviewed um, u- using HMRC or FSA data by those companies. The way to move goods between uh, GB to Mobile Island will be uh, using a pre notification IT system. The data in that will be used to do the, uh, that will be based on the pre notification scheme, will be largely based on the invoice or dispatch notice that companies use, um, there will be a requirement to have at least commodity codes and product descriptions on those to be able to do some of these checks. And the way that it will be enforced will be risk-based checks um, by authorities in Northern Ireland just to make sure that um, what is on the invoice or the dispatch notice matches up and if there are any kind of high-risk things that they can check those as well, so frequently noted. I think this goes back to one of the EU's main concerns is around citrus black spot and making sure that doesn't find its way even to Northern Ireland. And then there will also be an added requirement around the delivery notification. So you, uh, once you get into Northern Ireland, you've delivered it to either your um, wholesaler or retailer. You the haul it that to carry that good to deliver. It needs to state that good has been to deliver and what address within 24 hours of delivery. So that's the UK approach, similar to what the EU proposal will touch on now. Um, so, as, as with Lord Frost's speech, speech that, uh, the EU put out its proposal last week, I think it was Wednesday, these covered four areas on uh, agri food, customs medicines, and normalized stakeholders' inputs. So some of the headlines were around a 50% reduction of customs checks and SPS checks reduced by 80%. Now, I think we need to treat those figures with some skepticism, as we'll go into over the next uh, this slide and the next one. So on the customs procedure now the document is actually quite vague so it's quite hard to kind of guess around the actual kind of operability of the scheme but what it looks to do is two things it extends the scope of the uk trade scheme and extends the benefits of the uk trade scheme so at the moment the scope of it is uh is mainly around retailers or small manufacturers under 500k and gb companies can't have it Now, they are looking to uh, remove some of those uh, barriers, so they are looking to how they can include more and more manufacturers that are over 500k, and also have GB companies included or hold that authorisation as well. And in terms of the benefits, what they are looking to do is apply some of the at-risk criteria to not just duties, but also some of the paperwork. so rather than having to do fully fledged customs declarations for each transaction, you could do use your internal company systems and only submit a customs declaration uh, on a market basis. So moving to a period of it, declarations. But as ever, the, the details that EU's put out are quite vague and it's hard to get the exact precise nature of how it would work, but I think it's based on negotiations and it's a couple of welcome step on the customs purposes in the right direction. And a lot of it's a lot of what FDIP has been calling for. On the agri-food space is where the um, is where a lot of the technical detail starts to trim up some of the headlines. So this it looks like it's trying to firm up the current Stanley grace period that's in place at the moment. So what the EU proposal would do is a retail-only scheme, and it would be based on a single global certificate applying for the lorry movement. But there would be needed to have uh, available to official electronic data uh, data available electronically on each product. Now, how that would be done is uh, is not detailed in the paper, but it's quite an onerous task. That essentially, I don't think makes it any easier than having some of the EHCs that will apply applied at the end of the grace period. And it also, they look to remove the need for the ID and physical checks, but keeping um, the documentary checks. So now, uh, where most of the difficulty comes in is to the conditions that apply to that scheme. So at the heart of this uh, requirement to benefit from that SPS easement. All goods would have to be labelled for sale within the UK only. Um, it's a Northern Ireland only scheme, so it can only be delivered in Northern Ireland, and as mentioned, is for retail only. So it would exclude any Northern Ireland manufacturers or those to the food service sector, despite them having no more risks of bleeding into the Seagull market than retail does. And also is one of the quite odd things and probably the most worrying perspective from FDS point of view is it seeks to apply rules of origin under the UK EU TCA to that as the conditions that movement. Now, we think that would dramatically reduce the amount of products that could benefit um, under this scheme and see quite a lot of people still walking away from the protocol and leave us in no uh, better position than we would have been under for East EU rules. And it is also, uh, it would be based on a limited amount of traders, and both the sender and receiver would have to be part of that scheme. And as part of the safeguards, amongst other things, EU officials would be able to audit um, those who are uh, part of that scheme, which is, uh, depending on the kind of amount of bureaucracy on that scheme, quite worrying. So, just to kind of give some of our main concerns on the scheme, and I think, you know, obviously, firstly, it's important to say I think the EU has moved on the principle on this one. Uh, which is welcome, but I think some of the technical detail needs to go quite a bit further. And our main concerns are really principally around the simplification, but it's not clear if uh, it needs to be signed by a vet or not. I think the, the product level data is worrying uh, depending on when it's needed. I think if it was needed at, um, after the movement being done, it could work. But I think if it's something that needs to be available to officials before the, move, the movement, it's something that gets quite uh, tricky for companies. But the requirement to meet EU rules as part of this tip is quite complex as well. Um, I think it's not a problem now, but the UK has intended its um, its wish to diverge, and it becomes a hassle for companies later down the line. And particularly since this is a scheme that is about uh, goods going to Northern and staying in Northern I don't think it's necessary should be needed for companies to meet the EU rules on that one. Um, and then secondly, uh, the labelling is quite a costly and time consuming one for companies, and I think. It, uh, would question the viability of a lot for many companies on this one. As mentioned, the rules of origin as well, I think is probably our principal concern on this one. I think for a lot of UK manufacturers putting products on the UK, that were never designed to go uh, over the rules of origin criteria and would be immediately ruled out of this scheme. And then fourth, and probably uh, equally as important the rules of origin, it does not provide any benefit for manufacturers in Northern Ireland or the hospitality or food service. So I think one of the main concerns we have is, you know, goods going to Northern Ireland hospitality are really no more at risk of going to Ireland than they are in in retail or probably even less so. So, you know, someone who consumes a sandwich that's produced in GB in a Northern Ireland pub, they they clearly aren't going to take that over to the Republic of Ireland in the single market. So why they can't be included in this scheme is a, a bit of a concern to us. So I think those that's a very quick rundown of where our thoughts are. We're working with Both DEFRA on feeding these into uh, the negotiations on this one. In terms of next steps, what happens is the UK and the EU are currently in talks about talks. Now what that means is it's a technical level between officials discussing each other's positions and clarifying what each other's mean uh, what each other's positions means, then to detail on how that would work. And if we get to the end of that period, it's going to take about three or four weeks. Yeah, both sides will decide whether to enter into formal negotiations around what they would replace uh, some of the detail in the protocol about. So that's a very quick rundown around what's been happening on the protocol in the last week or so. Um, if anyone has any questions, do drop me a line uh, at the email just down there, at fdf.org.uk. I was quickly going to flash out to um, a survey that we should be publishing soon on Movements into Northern Ireland, and what would impact the um, the volume going to Northern Ireland around some of these rules, or the full EU um, compliance on the Northern Ireland Protocol that should be up shortly. Uh, but I'll pass over to uh,
5: Pete, who will be up next. And uh, welcome. I just wanted to update you all on the Project Propeller I've mentioned in the previous webinars, is our um, FDF's endeavour to enhance our support for customs and, and the requirements. And just to give you a quick headline, have a look at the custom support page on our website if you're interested. However, recent highlights are around our partnerships with Unsworth and our partnerships with Pedigogo. Uh, I'm delighted to say that Unsworth had a really successful event, middle of September, uh, and we've got over a over 100 people with a cons- considerable one-to-one follow-ups underway. Uh, And actually, we've also, and Luke, who you've just heard from myself, uh, we're fortunate enough to have a tour of Cali uh, earlier on, and I'm going to share that a bit later on. In terms of Pedagogo, we're starting to see signs of members' interest. Remember, this is about getting access to the Kickstart Scheme and being able to either have someone trained on skills with customers or in your facility or somewhere else. So that's a really interesting one, if anyone's interested in that particular aspect. So actually, 4th or 5th of October, uh, you can see on the picture on the right-hand side, for those listening, there's a smiling, hopefully smiling, 70 people who attended. range of attendees from, from different sectors, actually from Ireland, from UK, from France, with a combination of... Um, We did a walkthrough of the existing facility and interestingly 800 million euro invested Newport and Cali, went through a question and answer session with the port authorities, with the vet processing authorities, with the customers of over three hours. So it was really comprehensive and a great great session to attend. two things that have come out of that. The first thing is that there's a Cali Port Users Forum, which is gonna be set up. So anyone is interested, please please reach out to us. And because of the interest in that event, there's going to be another tour. And this uh, tour that we're arranging for the 15th and 16th November is actually, uh, it's going to go through Dover port. So you're actually gonna be able to see the UK side of, of exports and potentially imports on the way back. So. I'd really stress anyone interested to get on the ground and have a look to see how these things work. Please reach out to us it's at customers at but of course you can reach out to myself and look as well. And one thing that we're currently working on with the next meeting at the end of this week is potential discussion to have a visit in Dublin Port. So again, if anyone's interested in that side of things, please reach out to us because obviously the more demand we get for these types of visits, then uh, the easier it is to to create a justification for them to be undertaken. So please reach out to us in either of those um, situations. Uh, and with that, uh, I'd like to, I'll hand over to Tanya, who's going to talk about the National Food Strategy for England.
6: This is just a quick update um, for everyone on, on the National Food Strategy and some of the work that the Food and Drink Sector Council uh, has been doing recently. Um, so as a as quick background, um, the Food and Drink Sector Council is a formal industry-led partnership with government. Ian Wright from FDF, Terry Jones from NFU and uh, DEFRA's Director for Food, David Kennedy, co-chair the group. Um, members include FDF, NFU, AD, um, AHDB, BRC, UK Hospitality, and some of our business members uh, include ABF, Nestlé, Propercorn, Sainsbury's, and Morrisons. Um, so on October 8th, um, the Food and Drink Sector Council published its report, Feeding the Future, uh, working together to build the National Food Strategy, uh, which sets out our industry's contribution to the UK government's uh, forthcoming national food strategy. Um, it's a report that's in tandem to the work that that Henry Dimbleby uh, has been doing over the last two years, um, which his report came out in, in July this year. So the sector council report sets out a vision um, for 2030 um, for the sector. Um, the industry we we see the industry that has played an essential role in meeting the changing needs of consumers and solving the challenges of a complex international supply system over the last 75 years but there are also areas where the system will need to change so that we can provide a more sustainable and healthier food uh, to increase productivity and raise skills and to become more resilient to system shocks. So building on the collaboration from the last year and a half with the COVID pandemic Um, The Food and Drink Sector Council sees this as an opportunity for industry and government to work together to develop and deliver a plan to address both the short term supply chain challenges and also the long term strategic priorities for the sector. In terms of the key recommendations from the report, um, there is rather a lot in there as as the report covers six key areas. The first key areas around partnership um, between um, the government and the sector, as well as having a joined up food strategy across Whitehall and with the devolved administrations. Um, The other areas it covers are skills, productivity, trade, uh, sustainability in the environment and diet and health. Um, So some of the key recommendations aside from from the partnership, which is an overarching recommendation, um, the report asks for an industry skills campaign that champions great British food and drink careers. Uh, To replace the apprenticeship levy with a comprehensive skills levy, to double the industry's uh, research and development spend, and to support SMEs to access innovation expertise. Other recommendations include to maintain high standards of food production and integrity of raw material and inputs. Um, A Team UK approach to trade priorities and promotion across Whitehall and the devolved nations to achieve sectoral emissions reduction targets for 2030, to indicate the pathway to net zero in 2040, and for a 10-year government strategy that encompasses obesity and balanced diets, focusing on changing the food culture in the UK. Um, The report is available on the FDF website, um, so if if you're interested, please check it out there. Uh, In terms of next steps, Defra's food strategy team is now leading the work. so they have have taken up uh, Henry Dimbleby's report uh, and in earlier this at the end of the summer this year they began stakeholder engagement um, with ministers and, and across Whitehall. The sector Council was, report was published earlier this month and has been has been fed into the, the food strategy team at Defra and we will be continuing engagement with them over the next couple months, uh, including helping to test their recommendations. They will also be attending the Food and Drink Sector Council meeting on the 16th of November where ministers will be present to continue these discussions. Um, I I believe they're aiming to finalise the strategy at the end of this year in time for publication early next year. Uh, It is unknown at this point if it will be just a strategy or if there will be legislation involved in which case it will be a white paper. Um, But we will keep you posted as as that continues to to evolve and FDF has also put in their own um, submission to the white paper team or the, the food strategy team on this building on some of the recommendations from the Food and Drink Sector Council report. Um, But if you have any questions or would like any more information, you can contact me at tanya.barringer at fdf.org.uk. And I will now hand over to Emma to talk about Net Zero and COP26. Thank you, Tanya. And it's great
0: that, of course, you also mentioned the Net Zero aspect in your slides as well. And, and indeed, just today, this morning, uh, UK Hospitality have um, also published uh, their roadmap and uh, Net Zero ambition uh, by 2040. So, I mean, this slide here, uh, some of it was on, the, on our previous uh, monthly webinar, but really just wanted to uh, you know remind everyone that we have uh, the launch of our own roadmap, our, our handbook uh, for, Net, for Net Zero for Boondrick Manufacturers. That's launching on the 9th of November, um, and uh, we will have a webinar with the consultants to go through it in detail on the 18th of November. And really, this this is uh, forming you know, one of the, the many different uh, webinars, podcasts, a whole you know, grouping of, uh, of events uh, around COP26, and indeed, uh, posts as well, taking forward uh, this, this really important um, a, a agenda. And I think one new thing that I'd just like to mention is actually with the Food and Drink Sector Council it is that we're establishing a net zero working group within there, which will take forward the common elements of each of the the main participants' roadmaps. So, so for example, labelling will be a key common issue and. Um, and looking at transport, for example. But yes, that, that's the purpose of it. So I just wanted to, to raise that. Um, and I think just the last point, just, just to uh, sort of remind people of in, in terms of the, the resources that are available, we have uh, the government have, have uh, put together the, the Business Climate Hub and uh on there they are looking for sort of sign-ups also for uh, net zero ambitions ahead of cop 26 so please do check that out and there is also sort of a business toolkit on there too um and likewise the zero it's, it's a different website but but actually um also a, a lot of useful information there uh, as well which we will of course, be supplementing uh, when we uh, come to publish our own roadmap.
7: That's all from me, and now over to Kat. Good morning, everyone. Just a few updates from Scotland of interest uh, this month. Um, just wanted to talk about the key areas on the slide and also just to flag a few of the Scottish Parliament um, committee inquiries that may be of interest to members. If you're an FDF member, I'll be writing to you looking for your input. So, kicking off with um, the right to food, I just wanted to flag that the right to food has been a hot topic in the Scottish Parliament over the last month, with the SNP committing to include the right to food in their Human Rights Bill. Meanwhile, Scottish Labour MSP Rhoda Grant had been um, putting forward a Private Members Bill um, and had expressed disappointment after the SNP and Greens voted together that her Private Members Bill could not progress without further consultation. In the Equalities, Human Rights and Civil Justice Committee and the SNP responding, saying that the right to food will be included within a wider human rights bill coming in the year. Um, the other thing I just wanted to flag was around the Good Food Nation bill that was introduced to the Scottish Parliament, I believe, last week. Um, and again, just to flag a bit about that, um, there has been a lot of discussion over the years about what a Good Food Nation bill could look like in Scotland and what that would mean for food and drink producers and manufacturers. The bill that's been introduced will require Scottish ministers and a range of public bodies to produce what they're calling Good Food Nation plans to support social and economic well-being, the environment, health and economic development. Um, So after the Bill has received Royal Assent, some provisions will commence immediately and others will be commenced by further regulation made by Scottish Ministers. To clarify, the Bill does not impose any duties on businesses currently. The intention is that the Scottish Ministers and relevant authorities will provide a public lead on delivery of the Good Food Nation policy and in doing so will provide an exemplar for other organisations, including private business, to follow. Um, I did want to include quickly, and I will do it every month until we get an answer, that there is still no update on the Scottish deposit return system. Um we did have Lorna Slater, who is the Minister for Green Skills, Circular Economy and Biodiversity, answering a Scottish parliamentary question, which asked the Scottish Government whether the first of July 2022 continues to be the go-live date for the introduction of the Scottish Deposit Return Scheme. Mm -hmm. Ms. Slater said that the Scottish Government is considering the findings from the Independent Review, which some of you may know as the Gateway Review, of the go-live date, and will provide an update to Parliament businesses, quote, shortly, unquote. Um, we will continue to push officials to see if we can get clarity on that date and let everyone know as soon as possible. Finally, just a couple of things to flag, um, the Scottish Industrial Energy Transformation Fund, also known as ACTIFF, is now open for bids. So if you're looking to decarbonise your energy, um, there's funding available um, there and I can provide information to that if you're interested or you can Google S-I-E-T-F on the Scottish Government website uh, to find out more details, but there's a chunk of money there available if you're looking at um, switching to low carbon uh, fuels or technologies. Finally, just a couple of things on the committees, as mentioned earlier. There's a live inquiry on Scotland's supply chain from the Economy and Fair Work Committee. interested to hear about what we can do in the future to protect the supply chain from further shocks. Um, And also the Constitution Europe External Affairs and Culture Committee inquiry on Scotland and Scottish Government's international work and how they position the Scottish Government internationally, um, both within the EU and and wider um, globally, um, and how best the Scottish Government should engage with. UK trade and cooperation agreements.
5: Thank you very much. Thanks, Kat. Um, just a quick um, update in terms of what's been happening in Wales. Since since we last had a session, the alert level continues at zero. Just the thick thing in COVID, there's two things to highlight really, is that as the, the latest review, it's still the same process for factories risk assessments, how we manage safe safely in the staff. However, one thing that, that to point out is, obviously, Wales is Available to apply for the the visa exemptions on the poultry and the pig workers. However, in Wales, the ten day quarantine for overseas workers has not been exempted, so you just need to factor that in in terms of you, if you're planning. Um, one thing interesting that Kat just mentioned that over since September in Wales, there's a, a decarbonisation and COVID recovery fund for any size of business, any ownership of business. We're, we're really keen for members to reach out to us because we'll be able to coordinate and pull projects together. Interesting dynamic because it's about collaboration between certain partners of the AMRC, for example, ourselves and others. So, any members interested, please let us know. And then finally, the first event that we'll be doing anyway in Wales is Blast Cymru on 27th and 28th. 8th of October. It's a biannual event in Wales where they celebrate all things wood, uh, food and drink. Uh, Ian, Ian and Emma, colleagues, will be uh, contributing to the conference, speaking at the conference. We are also sponsoring the evening networking event and will be joining EMRC Cymru at the Advanced Manufacturing Stand. Also, my colleague, Chloe, will be holding a, a meeting with the multinational group colleagues uh, with the Minister, Leslie Griffiths. So in terms, of, in terms of the political, uh, political aspects, obviously, uh, the main news has really been around the, the vote for the, the quarantine and also interestingly, Wales is also looking at its constitutional settlement and trying to understand through a commission how it should best work with across the UK and other governments.
1: Just to confirm that the next month's uh, webinar will take place at 11am on Tuesday the 16th of November. If you have any requests about content that you would like us to cover, please do get in touch with me by emailing dominic.goody at fdf.org.uk. A copy of these slides and recording of the webinar will be available shortly via the FDF website. Um, just to remind as well that the webinar and a range of other content are also made available by uh, on the FDF's Passionate About Food podcast that is now available on all major podcast platforms. So thanks all for joining us today and I hope you have a most enjoyable week.
0: The FDF podcast is sponsored by Clark Energy, sustainably powering the food and drink sector.